Welcome to season one of Deconstructing the Raise, a show powered by VentureJuice, a European fundraising and investment platform built for SaaS founders and funders. VentureJuice helps early stage companies increase their exposure to the right funding and helps connect them with their best fit investor. If you're looking to raise your first or your next round, you can create a founder profile in less than five minutes at VentureJuice.com forward slash founders. In this season, Alex Steumer, the CEO of Sastock, talks with eight founders to identify exactly what it takes to successfully raise seed and Series A rounds. Uh, welcome to the second, oh no, sorry, the third uh, episode of uh, Deconstructing uh, the Raise, which is a weekly show where we debunk early stage fundraising to help those raising seed or Series A get more success. I'm Alex Sumer, CEO of Sastock, which is an events and media company helps SaaS companies get traction, grow, and scale. Each week, I'll be joined by SaaS founders that have recently raised a seed or Series A round. I hit them with the questions to break down their success to help you, the listener, get an advantage as you go through the process. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined uh, by David Jarvis, who's the CEO at Griffin, a UK-based SaaS company that's recently raised a seed round. Uh, welcome, David. Uh, thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, good to good to have you on the show. Uh, thanks for uh, giving up your time. And uh, and David, so I understand uh, relatively recently uh, Griffin raised the seed round. But before we do that, maybe can you just introduce yourself, uh, who you are, and uh, what Griffin is, what what it does, and why you founded the business. Yeah. Um... Hi, David Jarvis, founder CEO at um, Griffin. Um, <clears throat> my background is in um, uh, West Coast uh, startups, so Silicon Valley, San Francisco. Um, Griffin is a uh, banking as a service play here in the UK. And uh, one of the things that makes us rather novel within that space is that we're also going after our own uh, banking license here with BPRA and FCA. Um, my background. <coughs> um, at the, in the West Coast, uh, involved working for a banking as a service company back in 2014, 2015 called Standard Treasury, which sort of ran up against some of the issues that firms have in the space where they try to um, partner with banks. And so we kind of came to the conclusion that launching our own bank was going to be the right thing to do, but the US wasn't necessarily the right place to do that. And that led to me uh, relocating to the UK in uh, 2017 to set up the business here. Awesome. And um, yeah, banking uh, as a service, a, a, a kind of hot space. I think one that uh, that Stripe entered into uh, recently. Um, uh, so uh, I can understand the, the excitement from there. So let, let's start um, you know, from the top. Tell us how much you raised, uh, from whom. Um, and I think we mentioned uh, that it was seed. Uh, so yeah, let, let's learn just a little bit more about the, the, the size uh, of that seed round and, and who invested. Yeah, so our most recent round is a six and a half million pound round that was led by EQT Ventures. Um, and we work with uh, Tom Mendoza there, who's a, an absolute delight to work with. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, it falls into a kind of weird space insofar as challenger banks um, have very peculiar uh, fundraising profiles that kind of fall outside of the normal model. So we had actually raised a three million pound seed round the year before. Um, but we didn't feel that this was quite appropriate to call a Series A either. So um, it's kind of more of a seed two um, round. Awesome. And EQT, um, why particularly uh, those guys? You know, why, why Tom? 
um, you know, what was it uh, about them? Uh, were there other options? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I, sh I should also mention before I like forget all of our other like lovely investors that um, there were a bunch of other uh, people as, as part of the round. Um, so uh, we also work with people like um, uh, Carlos uh, Gonzalez Cadenas, who up until recently was at GoCardless and, and has just joined Index. Um, Matt Robinson, who's the uh, also sort of ex-GoCardless and now runs Nested. Um, uh, Gotham and Mark over from Double Prime, like a, a bunch of really uh, other really uh, sophisticated and, and smart um, fintech folks. Um, as far as EQT, uh, so we had, um, uh, well, rather before I get into like the story, like why them, um, uh, I think there were really two kind of big things. One, um, they had backed Saitora and, and we know Richard there um, and have a lot of respect for him and the business. And so already that kind of put them in the, in the good books. But then the, the more relevant one is that EQT has a very, very close relationship um, with Banking Circle and uh, is a, I believe, majority stakeholder in, in Banking Circle, which is a very, very well established compared to us, uh, API driven um, banking as a service company. Although um, I think they sort of, uh, don't necessarily brand themselves as such today. Um, but so their experience dealing with, <coughs> sorry, um, a fully regulated EU-based bank in an API-driven B2B um, landscape said like, okay, like there's, you know, there's a huge amount of complexity in getting close to one of these businesses. And so the fact that you not only have done that, but have taken such a large position in that firm means you probably have um, a much more intimate understanding of the regulatory environment here, which is otherwise like, Kind of a big uh, threshold for investors to get over. Where where did you uh, where did you meet um, Tom? Uh, where did you meet sort of EQT? You know, first off, um, I actually feel terrible for this, but I'm I'm not totally confident uh, that I know what the answer is. I think I think we were introduced by Seedcamp, um, okay. but I'm not super sure. So if uh, it's one of our other investors listening to this, and you're like, "Damn it, Dave!" Like we were the ones who introduced you. I'm sorry. Okay, well, that, 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 that's, uh, that, that's fair. Um, and from when, um, when you were introduced, whenever that moment uh, was, um, how long has, you know, how long has it been since that moment kind of passed to actually then, you know, kind of closing that round? Yeah, so um, it was not quick at all. Um, but that's not, uh, it, that's not a, a negative in any way, because at the time we met, we weren't raising. Um, so, you know, we were in this really weird and interesting place where um, our original seed round, uh, the one that we had done in, in 2019, had been incredibly hard and grueling to pull off. Um, and we ended up with some like truly incredible investors who really believe in us um, and who have made everything that's happened since then possible. Um, but then what had happened at the start of 2020 was that like banking as a service and our model had gone from this like deeply unpopular thing to suddenly like incredibly hot. Um, and so we were sort of looking around and thinking to ourselves, okay, well, maybe we should raise this here. Like the market seems really receptive. Like, and then COVID hit and we were like, okay, well now we don't know what to do with this because now everyone's saying that they're not writing any checks. Um, and so it was kind of around that time, I think that we were first introduced to Tom. Um, and so, you know, just a really, really weird and interesting time. Um, you know, when we first met with him, he was like, you know, we're not writing checks right now. We're, we're kind of figuring out what we need to do in order for us to be able to write a check in this like really remote, like no in-person meeting type environment. Um, and so we, we kind of spent, uh, so, so the, you know, in, in total, I think it took us about like four or five months to go from first meeting to 
round closed. Um, but we spent kind of several months just um, kind of learning about each other with with fairly low expectations on on both sides, just because they weren't necessarily sure what they were going to do. And then as it became obvious that um, the venture market was definitely going to continue to operate and that COVID was actually, if anything, going to be a good thing for a lot of tech companies. Like, I think at the same time that EQT was coming to this realization, the whole market was realizing, actually, like, there are a lot of deals to be done here. Um, and uh, that in and of itself was, was its own kind of evolution. So we had started, um, and, and we'll, we can talk more about this, but we had kind of started on the footing of, hey, you know, this is a really rough environment. Like, maybe you guys should should just take a little bit of you know, capital sort of top up your last round. You don't know how things are going to play out here. Um, and then over the course of our conversations with them, it went from that to like, actually, like, this could be really good for you. And maybe we don't need to top up our last round. Maybe we are talking about a really like new round that we're bringing forward relative to when we had, we might otherwise have done it. Um, and, and that, you know, ultimately was, was the round that we did with them. And, and and given that it was 2020, and you you know we, we talk about obviously 2020, it, it's uh, synonymous with 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 COVID, and um, you know quite a, a forget, forgettable year in, in in some instances. But obviously, if you're in SaaS, it, it's been quite a good year um, uh, in, in many respects. But um, uh, given that the you, the round started, you know, kind of during that process, uh, w- was it uh, in any case that you actually didn't meet Tom in person and everything was done over Zoom? Um, how did how did that uh, look like? Um, I, I think we were still at a point where there was a, a, a sensation that um, one in-person meeting was going to need to happen. And so I think um, I think it was at some point in May. Um, I, I coincidentally like had been exposed to COVID extremely early in the pandemic for the UK, um, and so. I suppose there was like less danger and Tom and I like meeting in person, given that one of us had definitely had it. Yeah. Um, and so we, we went for like a, a 90 minute walk um, in Hyde Park and just kind of like talked through the business, um, talked about how we might put a round together. At that time, that wasn't like the final partner pitch or anything like it. Like that was still a very, that was at a very creative point when we were talking about like what might be possible, what sort of terms would I would the, you know both of us be willing to accept and and at the end of that we actually were like okay well um, it actually doesn't sound like there's a round to be done here um, but like you know you guys seem really sophisticated it's a pleasure spending time with you like you know when we start to more officially raise and and actually like run a process we'd love to kind of work with you maybe then when we've had whatever milestones we need to hit then um, and then a, about a month after that. Uh, Tom kind of came back and was like, hey, actually, I've been talking to my partners um, and I, I think we do have the appetite to do the round that we've kind of talked about later in the year now, if you want to do that. And I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> Just um, uh, on on the, the, the walking meeting in, uh, in, in Hyde Park. Uh, how how was the pace of of, of that walk? Uh, because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, it's a strange strange question, perhaps. But I um, uh, a few years ago, uh, when I was looking at raising a little bit of money for uh, for SaaS stock, I met with a VC in a park. It wasn't Tom, I have to say, uh, and uh, uh, and we went for a walk, which was incredibly fast paced, uh, and it was quite hot. And I was sweating. I was a bit out of breath. I was probably out of shape at the time. 
Um, and I, I was struggling to keep up on, on the walk. And then also, you know, let's say multitask and answer the questions. And needless to say, nothing came of it. And I think it was because of my the inability to keep up with the investor on, on, on his pace. So uh, just just curious, was it a reasonably pace? He, he didn't push you uh, on the speed? No, no, no. So that, that wasn't an issue. But what was an issue was because it was COVID, all of the toilets were closed. And so like, by the 90 minute mark, we, we it was quite hot. And so I had, you know, we'd both gotten a bottle of water and, and drank it. And by the end, I was like, I have to leave immediately. <laughs> Abrupt endings. Uh, very, very, very good. Um, and um, and so obviously the deal got done with uh, with EQT, uh, you know, uh, uh, took a few months to, to, to get done. Um, did you meet any other investors? Um, you know, how many uh, in total? And uh, uh, did you get many no's to the to the one yes? Um, so, I mean, I, again, I think it's like, worth contextualizing. When we had done the 2019 seed, we had pitched like everybody who had a wallet in London, and like some people outside of London. Um, and so we had already talked to a lot of people, and many, many, many people had said no. Um, and then in this case, because we weren't really actively fundraising, we were just sort of like, oh, well, you know, we should keep our pulse on the market and take the odd meeting and, and think about who might be a, a good partner for the next round. Um, like it, we, we simply didn't get to the point where anyone said no because we just weren't pitching people, really. I mean, I think we, actually, no, that's not true. We had pitched, um, we, we had pitched foundation capital, um, maybe a, 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 while we were talking to Tom at some point, we, we had pitched foundation and they had sort of passed. Um, but that was basically it. I mean, we like that was just like the one other um, firm. And then, as we entered, you know, term sheet and, and closing process, uh, a bunch of people really came out of the woodwork and, and were like, we, "We would love to participate in this round." It was kind of like, "Well, too bad." Like, um, you know, we, we we had a terrible round last time. EQT has done us a huge favor by making this round like a real easy, pleasant experience for us. Um, like you had all the time in the world to show up and give us money. Um, but like, we're going to make sure that EQT gets uh, an ownership stake that makes them really happy. And frankly, that's not going to leave a ton of room for anyone else. Uh, yeah, fair, 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 uh, fair enough. And um, why do you think EQT, uh, I'm sure they probably told you, but why they chose to uh, invest in, in, in you and in Griffin? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to um, it, it goes back to two things. One is is their experience with Banking Circle, which is really it's it very. I think it's probably um, it's probably safe to say that without Banking Circle, they would not have been as interested um, as they were. Uh, and, and their experience working with Banking Circle has been incredibly pleasant and has left them with a deep expertise um, in the space and a deep level of confidence in the amount of opportunity that still remains in the space. Um, so I, I think that was one really big thing. And then, of course, the second thing, which <clears throat> I think everyone was sort of getting hip to at the same time, which had really been kicked off by Angela Strange's and, and, and Andreessen Horowitz's like, uh, aggressive um, content marketing around embedded finance and embedded fintech. Um, I, you know, th there obviously there, there were uh, others who were sort of coming to this awareness at the same time. Um, but I think that sort of kicked off like a general frenzy within the venture capital ecosystem has largely sort of continued and if anything, just gotten hotter in the last year. Um, and so I, I see it as the two things, right? It's like uh, a, a general awareness that, that there is a big opportunity here and that suddenly this market is, is gonna start growing really, really quickly. And then EQT's specific expertise 
and not only expertise within the like API banking space, but but their specific level of comfort and confidence dealing with fully regulated banks as players in that space um, that really gave them, I think, the level of confidence that they needed in order to to go ahead with us. And any any metrics that you can share that perhaps helped clinch the deal? Honestly, no. I mean, like we are. Um, I mean, I, I think um, because we are building a bank, we don't have a lot of um, pre-authorization traction points to point to. The big traction points that are relevant for us are regulatory in nature. They are they relate to the state of our conversations with the PRA and FCA. Um, and uh, for probably reasonably obvious reasons, I can't go into like an incredible level of detail about that. Fair. Um, and uh, I mean, we've talked to, obviously, you mentioned about Anderson Horowitz, uh, sort of content marketing about you know, banking as a service or embedded banking. And, um, you know, certainly, uh, uh, I think a lot of people and then, you know, Stripe moving into the space, etc, making it that hot space. So was there much of a story that you had to tell to kind of get them hooked or given that their previous experience and what was going on in the market that uh, perhaps that wasn't you know uh, as necessary um yeah that's a, that's an interesting question um i do think i mean you know we have a unique product thesis which is that um uh if you're looking to offer a financial services product you kind of need these three core pillars of uh, accounting infrastructure, like a banking partner, and compliance infrastructure, and that like uh, most firms historically have like built or bought these kind of separately as components, and then have to deal with a lot of overhead and keeping them in sync. And the core thesis of Griffin is that like we offer these as a vertically integrated product suite, and so all of the overhead of keeping them in sync is gone, and there are some sort of unique benefits that you get, right? So if we're doing your sort of financial crime management for you then we can probably onboard you much faster because we don't have to pour through all of your policies and procedures. Um, similarly, if you're running like our uh, ledger alongside the, the payments and clearing infrastructure, like that should make your bookkeeping um, and sort of reconciliation process vastly streamlined. Um, <clears throat> so I do think there, there was a little bit of kind of um, convincing that had to be done that that product approach was the right approach and that the sort of specific demographics, uh, sort of customer profiles that we wanted to go after were the right ones to go after um, as a, you know, as a sort of new business. Um, but I think, you know, they were fairly convinced that the market existed um, and that, uh, you know, they, they could see, you know, there are a couple other players like out there already who are, who are doing a decent job at penetrating that market. And so it was kind of just like, what strategy do we think makes the most sense for winning in this market? And were there, aside from COVID, um, any unforeseen hurdles that you had to overcome? Um, not as part of the raise, to be honest. Um, one of the things that is very challenging about being, not to sort of haha, be clever, challenging about being a challenger bank um, is that you do have some very peculiar uh, restrictions in terms of how your capital raises work. Um, so for instance, in order to, in order for your capital um, to count uh, to count towards your uh, regulatory requirements, it has to be ordinary shares, right? 
But while you're a pre-authorization bank, obviously there's risk that you don't get authorized or that you pivot to something else. And so investors want preferred shares. Um, and so you have to kind of design a mechanism that says, yeah, these shares are preferred now, but once we become a bank, they convert to ordinary. Um, and you have to you know, obviously have to get everyone happy with that. Um, and you have to convince people that, um, yes, in fact, there is no way to work around that. Um, so th there are some sort of unique um, like legal and capital hurdles that you do have to uh, work through. But again, you know, with EQT, like they kind of knew all of this. So, you know, th the legal mechanisms had to be designed, but they already knew that they were going to have to, um, that, that, that these were going to have to get built. It was just a matter of figuring out what language was the right language. Uh, which is a kind of not a, a nice segue in terms of from, you know, on the legal side, what sort of support did you get you know, uh, what what did that look like? You know, in the, in terms of the, the final agreement. I mean, we recently, uh, not that perhaps there's uh, anything wrong with it, but uh, to to my surprise, we we recently had um, you know founders on on the show uh, that actually didn't get any legal support when they were going through you know uh, the, the seed round and just got a simple kind of agreement you know off the web uh, and um, you know got it done. Um, but uh, perhaps in, in in this case, just kind of curious to uh, to know, uh, as this wasn't you know a seed, it was like you know uh, um, uh, sort of like pre-series A. Um, yeah, what what did that look like? Yeah, um, so we we used Oric um, for this. Uh, Oric has the benefit, obviously, of a pretty extensive venture capital financing experience, and they've also um, advised uh one or two challenger banks on their races before so you know the sort of stuff that we were going to ask them to do was not super surprising to them um we did still work very closely with our we have uh, our own um external regulatory council who we work with who, who worked with auric on just making sure that uh the kind of key regulatory items were being covered off it's interesting that you say that though because like when we did our um 2019 raise <clears throat> We used to work again, and again, we're like very happy with them. Um, but we had originally been planning on on using a like a private equity lawyer that had been recommended to us. And um, Paul Forster, who's the investor who led that round, was like, "I'm not comfortable with that. Like, I just I don't care who you use, but like it has to be someone who really understands venture capital. Like, just go and talk to like your. We had already raised. We had done a, a pre seed round with Seedcamp. He's just like, go and talk to Seedcamp. Find a venture capital lawyer." And like have them do the deal. I don't want like a private equity guy setting like the wrong tenor of um, terms for this business, given what you actually want to do with it. And that was, in retrospect, like absolutely the right call. Um, it was sort of funny. My my co-founder remarked, like, "Is it like really like the right thing for like the investor to be telling us like which lawyer to use?" But like, like absolutely the right thing for Paul to have pushed us to do. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, or Oric is a, a little bit pricey, but. We've always felt that the service is fantastic and we get great value for it. Um, yeah, that's a, a, a good shout there. And, and actually similar story in my case, I mean, it was sort of like post the uh, not <laughs> not uh, succeeding with the um, uh, the VC that, that made me walk really fast. Um, you know, and we didn't actually take we didn't take uh, VC money, but uh, we took some angel money back in, uh, I want to say 20 early 2017 um uh, just a few hundred thousand and it was more uh less about the money but more about the the people that were you know wanting to invest <clears throat> and the value that it would bring me as a solo you know uh preneur uh and um i asked my accountants uh you know for a a lawyer an intro to a lawyer they gave me an intro to a lawyer we worked with this lawyer 
and then I had the the angel investors, a couple of them kind of uh, really not liking um, my choice of lawyer and kind of, you know, really kind of pulling the agreement apart. And I, I was <clears throat> maybe in my inexperience being defensive of of this particular lawyer and saying, no, you know, it, it was fine. And, you know, I'm very happy with him. But they were, I, I think they had a point uh, and I didn't really kind of take the advice. And I know like one of them kind of like, got quite heated, you know, pulled over his car, you know, to kind of have a conversation with me. Um, in the end, we stuck with my lawyer. But when I look at it back in hindsight, I look at the agreement that we got done. I was like, well, that was just like, you know, way too much uh, work, too complicated. You know, he didn't really understand. He wasn't really kind of right for for that situation. So uh, so good advice there on uh, perhaps listening to your investors about getting a lawyer that really kind of understands these, uh, these agreements. Um, uh, for sure. Um, in terms of the fundraise itself, like uh, often the CEO, you know, is uh, the lead person fundraising within the business. Uh, was it the case here? Did you have anybody else from your, your team involved or, or was it just you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was mostly me, um, but we are at a stage where, you know, the, the team is like basically what investors are investing in. So, um you know, uh, Tom did spend quite a bit of time with other members of the team. Um, I think in particular, he spent a bunch of time with our CFO, kind of trying to understand what our regulatory capital requirements were going to be and, and what the sort of major drivers of those was. Um, you know, as, as well, obviously, as, as my co-founder, Alan, and trying to get a sense for where the, the tech and the product was at the time of their investment. Um, you know, I mean, I think, uh, like, <laughs> these these things are never... Like, yeah, yeah, as the CEO, you own the relationship and you are the sort of storyteller in chief, but um, it's really kind of impossible to do these things as like a one man band, I think. Yeah, for sure. And uh, did you um, did you have a, like a, a data room for this that you were kind of building and maybe, you, you know, uh, prior to your your seed round? Um, and, and what does that kind of look like? What, what sort of things do you have within that if, if you have this? Yeah, um, so we did build, I mean, obviously, because we had done the round in 2019, we actually had a lot of um, stuff already pulled together that was fairly recent and fairly up to date. Um, uh, and then <clears throat> um, I, I can't remember, um, I think it was DLA Piper uh, was the lawyers that, that EQT used. Um, they had like a quite thorough um, DD questionnaire. And so we ended up coming up with like a even more, like a far more detailed uh, data room that they covered like absolutely everything. Um, and I, I don't know, I mean, you know, these exercises can be, um, they can be a little frustrating sometimes, but on the other hand, you really get your house in order. Um, so as a forcing function to make sure that you have everything that you should have, they can be kind of helpful. And yeah, I mean, for sure, I, I certainly recommend that, um, uh, that, that listeners do create, you know, uh, a data room to read up about, you know, how, how they do that and see see some examples um, and the um, you know I guess the deck uh, for this round uh, as well. Um, how long did you spend sort of creating you know the pitch deck? Did you put a lot of uh, design resource into it? You know any kind of additional kind of like in investments? Um, you, you know a bit, bit of detail on what it what it looked like. Some of the key slides. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, a, uh, we, we already had like, we'd invested quite a bit of time and money in building like a very blah, 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 froofy um, 
uh, lovely looking deck for the the round before that again like a lot you know, we reused a lot of the resources for that when it came to building the deck for eqt um we didn't really invest like a lot i mean we basically took the existing design resources we added a couple slides on kind of where we were um and a bit of you know detail on the team that we put in place since that round um but it was not, I would say, a, a huge investment process. I, I mentioned right also that we had pitched foundation. And so we, we kind of had um, we had a partner pitch deck that we had done for them that we also were able to sort of update a little bit. But I wouldn't say it was a huge investment um, uh, you know, in, in sort of time and, and resource because really, you know, the, the pitch deck is like just like a it's just an artifact like the sort of conversations and the relationships and the story and all the Q&A and all the like due diligence, like that's the actual investment process. The pitch deck is like, it's just a, it's just a thing that people look at on their phones. Like <laughs> they kind of want to get like a quick sense of, of where you are and they're um, not up to speed. I will say um, there was an article that we did with uh, Business Insider that actually shares like a fairly redacted form of the deck. So uh, if you are curious about it, you can uh, probably Google that and, and find uh, the, like a, clean-ish version of the deck on the internet. Awesome. Uh, awesome. I love the fact that you, you shared that. Um, and if you we'll go back to the beginning, um, certainly the beginning of, of, of this particular raise, from what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Hold, hold out longer for an even better valuation. Um, uh, no, honestly, I mean, um, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I'm really happy that, um, uh, we, you know, we were able to get EQT into the company, um, like great outcome, great partner, great terms, like a uh, great process, like not stressful, very like fun, easy, pleasant to work with. Um, I, I don't know that there's much I would change at all. Uh, and, and why not? Um, and um, yeah, I guess once the uh, you know once the deal uh, was was done or the round you know was closed, uh, money is wired over into the bank. Um, did you celebrate? And uh, if so, how? <laughs> did I celebrate? Yeah, so I did celebrate actually. Um, Although I, I think I probably celebrated a little bit prematurely, but that's okay. So um, my co-founder, Alan, had been in Texas uh, for the first two years of the business, um, almost three years of the business, really. And uh, this had sort of unnerved the initial seed round investors. And so they had said, like, look, like Alan, like we're putting a clause in the investment contract that says, like, Alan needs to move over in the next year. Um, otherwise, like, will his, his shares will forfeit. And so, like, poor Alan, like, Alan has a bunch of kids. He's got two dogs. Had to move over with his um, wife and family in the middle of the pandemic. Like, extremely, extremely stressful time, obviously. Um, and I was just feeling terrible, right? I was like, oh, my God, like, this last raise was so bad. Um, you know, you've just moved, you've just like, completely uprooted your entire life to come here and, like, you know, what if we're not able to raise again? And so we ended up doing, I think, I think we did like a July the 4th because we're both American. You know, we did a July the 4th barbecue at his house. And at that point it was like very clear that the deal was happening. Um, and we were just like, yes, like it's awesome. It's awesome to have you here. Finally. It's awesome to like be, you know, like able to, to go and, and have a meal together. Um, 
And like, I don't have to feel guilty that I've just like ripped you out of your life. And that like, this is all going to disappear in a year. Like we now have enough funds that like, this is clearly on like a great trajectory. And I like, don't, <laughs> don't have to feel terrible about this. Yeah. You've, um, fortunate with the, with the timing of, uh, I, I guess sort of like July the 4th, I think you uh, must've been out of lockdown at that time. And the, I think there's obviously a lot of, a lot of people that have uh, either recently raised or, you know, raised during 2020, but uh, during a kind of, you know, a stricter or the stricter version of the, the lockdown where uh, I guess the, any celebrations would have been, you know, over Zoom, which is not quite the same, but I'm sure that th those folks will be holding out for the time when we uh, are, you know, fully back together uh, in person uh, again. Um, and in terms of, you, you know, successfully raising the money's in the bank, um, how have you been spending it or you know what is the plan to you know kind of spend it and uh, and grow griffin yeah well um it may not come as a surprise that it is very expensive to build a bank <laughs> um and uh i think that's particularly the case you know when you make the strategic decision to invest in your own core banking system um so you know that the money is going i would say primarily to growing the engineering team um but then you know also just to absolutely making sure that we have enough capital to get through the authorization process. Um, you know, when, when we had done our initial seed round, we had thought like, okay, like we're gonna have to be pretty lean, but we think this is doable. Um, and then, you know, COVID hit and, and things started to look a little bit um, like things were maybe moving a bit slower at the Bank of England. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to have like a fresh six and a half million in the, in the bank was just like, okay, great. Well, like at, at our burn rate, this removes like all risk that we are not that we don't have the lasting power to go through this. So it, at this point now, it's like it's just a question of when. Um, and you know, it also gives us the firepower to place some interesting bets. So um, one of the things that we have really sort of identified as an opportunity is um, the ability to bring. You know, I sort of mentioned that our core product thesis has these like three pillars, right? Um, but the the accounting and the ledger part of that, like you don't need to be regulated to offer a ledger to people. And so one of the things that we're doing even now is, is starting to um, get sort of users into a sandbox where they can test out the ledger capabilities. They can give us product feedback. Um, for some people that probably will turn into like a proper commercial engagement where we will become their ledger provider. Um, and that will allow us to get a lot more um, product feedback to sort of start that critical, flex that like critical muscle of, you know, market research to product development, to customer feedback, to sales. Um, <clears throat> And that's going to be great for us because, you know, the, the thought otherwise of kind of having to wait until we're authorized and then, you know, turn the key and, and have everything happen at once. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of execution risk in that. So so being able to, like, actually potentially start working with customers sooner is is one of the other, like, big opportunities for us. And have you already, you know, are you taking a break or a short break from fundraising or is it a case of always be fundraising and you're already you know, working on the Series A? Mm, mm. Oh gosh, <laughs> gotta be careful what I say here. Um, well, um, we're not fundraising, but also kind of like if you're the CEO of a startup that's doing well, you're like, you're never not fundraising. Um, you're never not open to fundraising. I think that the answer is like, we don't need any money from anybody anytime soon but also like we are in the hottest 
subsector of the hottest technology market that I have ever lived through in my life. So um, we're also not clueless about the fact that like capital is available on very, very good terms for us. And that may not be the case forever. So we will keep an open mind about it. So uh, it's, a, it's a good position uh, to take. And uh, on, on that note, David, uh, Java CEO Griffin, I, I want to thank you for uh, being a guest today on Deconstructing the Rays and, and sharing uh, with the audience um, your, your recent, uh, or, uh, you know, fairly sort of recent uh, success in, in, in raising that, uh, that round. So thanks so much, David. Where can people find you online? Um, I can be found probably most easily on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, <laughs> a little bit arcane. That's at Venantius, V-E-N-A-N-T-I-U-S. Or perhaps more easily, you can find us at, at Griffin Platform or on our website at griffin.sh. Because uh, on that note, a final uh, sort of anecdote of my uh, my EA when she sort of like uh, tweeted out the uh, or like promoed the the show ad added like at David Jarvis on, on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and I, I saw this, uh, I kind of investigated. I was like, they haven't been on Twitter since 2010. And I was like, yeah. I don't think this is the same David Jarvis. And so we had to uh, get that changed. But um, but yeah, at Venantius. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not I'm not sure my Twitter handle is doing me any favors. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's the handle I've had on the internet for like, 15 years and it's tied to a lot of my identities so i don't know that it's going to change anytime soon and frankly like david jarvis is not that good for seo <laughs> it's true it's true uh good good stuff well david really enjoyed the conversation uh, thanks so much for for your time for those that are listening uh if you enjoyed this episode of deconstructing the rays uh please share please subscribe um you know this will help uh more founders uh that are in the raising process of the seed in series a uh, come across the show and get valuable lessons from people like David. So thanks so much, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Thank you. It's been a huge pleasure.